Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Let's begin with a little segment I'm increasingly calling the F-bomb. So, okay, I always promise to admit to you guys when I was wrong about things. And welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. You know, I don't want to be one of these talk show hosts who just uh, always pretends he's right. And when I'm proven wrong, I gloss over it and do whataboutism. I know a lot of other guys do that, but I won't. So I always am happy to admit when I'm wrong. Because, you know, I'm just a big dope. I mean, how did I get the job here? They said, let the chimp throw the dart, and it landed on my headshot. So thank you, chimp. So in 2016, I realized I had been wrong about the U.S. right wing's obsession with overturning Roe v. Wade. For years, I thought, come on, guys, the right wing campaign to overturn abortion rights in this country was just another empty promise from the Republican Party to get votes from social conservatives and right-wing Christians who worship Jesus because that's a lot easier than following his inconveniently liberal teachings. That's the racket. The Wall Street douchebags have got to get the white nationalist racists and the revoltingly fake Christians on their side. And I'm, I'm sorry, folks, if, if you're a Christian who supported Donald Trump, your, your Messiah is not Jesus. Your Messiah is a racist fat landlord from Queens. You, you can't follow Jesus and support Donald Trump. I'm going to say that again in case anybody from the Patriot Channel is accidentally listening. Um, You cannot support Jesus. You cannot follow the teachings of Jesus and support Donald Trump. Hey, you know what? You can't support the teachings of Jesus and support the Republican Party. It's a racket. Fundamentalist Christians are the easiest group to lie to and manipulate. And I thought that's that's how the ruling class ruled. I mean, think about it. After Nixon and civil rights, it was a rough 70s after Watergate. So what did they do? They made an unholy alliance with Ronald Reagan, who was going to do the bidding of Wall Street and the corporate overlords while telling the Christian right what they wanted to hear, that we're going to get rid of abortion. And I always thought it was a racket. This unholy alliance of right-wing Christians, nationalist racists, and Wall Street money guys. And trust me, the guys who control the Republican Party, the money guys, They don't want abortion banned. They have mistresses. So I I always said, look, they're going to promise the right wing they're going to ban it. And that's how they got elected. And, And I was right for many years. I mean, think about it. Ronald Reagan, as governor of California, passed the most liberal abortion law in that state's history. George Bush Sr., he was pro choice. He was pro women's reproductive rights until the day in 1980 that Ronald Reagan asked him to be his running mate. And overnight, he became pro-life. George W. Bush, I didn't buy it either. He, he never even appeared at the Right to Life conventions. He, he, he wouldn't even send a video. He would send an audio greeting. So every year he would play President George W. Bush's audio greeting to the Right to Life people. So he wouldn't even be seen doing it. They were so embarrassed. They went along with it because they were Wall Street assholes. And you got to feed the religious right their anti-abortion talk. Just like you got to feed the racists their illegals illegals talk. Because that's how you get elected. And again, the Wall Street assholes love illegal immigration. That's how they get cheap labor. And they love abortion. It's not a problem. So it worked. 
The right-wing evangelicals voted Republican. The rich guys got their taxes cut. They got deregulation. They got to pollute all they want, outsource all the jobs they want. And I, and I made a lot of my liberal friends angry. God knows I made a lot of Stephanie Miller listeners angry. But I just, I never thought they'd really do it. It was a racket. I mean, if they actually banned abortion, how would they raise funds anymore? And then in 2016, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died. And Merrick Garland, Obama's replacement, was blocked. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans wouldn't even allow Obama to hire a replacement. They wouldn't give Obama an up or down vote on his nominee. And that's when I knew in 2016, I was wrong. I mean, yeah, they were cynical, but they were also really going to do it. The Wall Streeters had lost control of the party in the age of Trump. And look, Trump believes in nothing, okay? I can't even call Trump a fascist because he doesn't believe in anything. Trump was pro-choice when he tried to be a Democrat and make them like him, and they saw through him, so he became so anti-abortion. He appointed these three Supreme Court justices who all lied and said Roe was settled law. So, look, I, I, I will admit, I was wrong. And in 2016, I realized I was wrong, and I'm like, holy crap, they're really going to do it. I mean, there's Sharia law, but over here we have Scalia law. And it's the same thing. Extreme, conservative, religious rule. Fundamentalist religion dictated by men controlling society. It's just a difference of degrees. So last week, Alito's opinion was leaked and the Republican Party flipped out because they know how deeply unpopular banning abortion is going to be. And we talked about this. They misdirected over the leak. It's all about the leak. Well, that was last week's saga. Now they're misdirecting over the protests. You might have seen on the news that protesters were gathering at the Chevy Chase, Maryland homes of Supreme Court Justices John Roberts and Brett Lope Kavanaugh over the weekend to protest this draft Supreme Court majority opinion that was leaked to Politico a week ago tonight that would and will overturn Roe v. Wade. And boy, oh boy, it's been all about the again. The Republicans don't want to do a victory lap and say, yes, 42 years of work. We finally did it. We're killing abortion rights No. They want to talk about a leak, and now they want to talk about the protests. Here's Jen Psaki earlier today. She was asked about the protests that sprung up outside the homes of these justices in reaction to their intention. We don't know about Roberts yet. We know about Kavanaugh. Their intention to wind back women's reproductive rights by half a century. A5. You suggested that uh, peacefully protesting outside the homes of, of judges and, and Supreme Court justices uh, is, is part of freedom of expression and, and part of what we do in the United States. But there's a, there's a law in Virginia that actually prohibits um, uh, protests outside private residence, even when it's done peacefully. Um, so I'm wondering if uh, any sort of uh, demonstrations outside private homes might run afoul of that law and, and other laws like it in other parts of the country. We're certainly not suggesting anyone break any laws. I would note that the president's view has long been, and I tweeted this earlier this morning and repeated and made a number of these comments last week as well, that uh, violence, threats, and, and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, we are a country that promotes democracy, and we certainly allow for peaceful protest uh, in a range of places in the country. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that. Uh, and it should never resort to violence, to threats, to intimidation in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but that is what uh, our position is and the president's position is. But they're protesting outside their homes. It's so wrong. You know, these right-wing folks never made a peep when Dr. Christine Blasey Ford had to move her family four times over all the death threats she got from these pro-life angels. Guys, the Supreme Court is on the precipice 
of making a decision that is going to immediately affect the lives of millions. These are extraordinary times. And these are protests that are outside the homes of people directly responsible for what's about to happen to our country. The homes of people directly responsible for taking rights away from Americans. And I don't need to point this out, but Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh were both appointed by presidents the majority of Americans voted against. They do not represent the will of the people. This is not unlawful. This is not dangerous. This is morally appropriate. Guys, in the U.S., the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances is enumerated in the First Amendment. Okay, it specifically prohibits Congress from, let me quote, abridging the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So that's the new misdirect because they don't want to talk about it. But let me just say before I move on, get to the meat of this. We love hearing your comments all the time. And you can write your thoughts on this to me at johnfugelsang.com or the Tell Me Everything Facebook page. We're going to be reading some of your notes later on tonight. And of course, if you're listening to the live radio version, always call us at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. If you're someone who listens as a podcast or on demand and you're up some night and you know, you're lonely, give us a call. Uh, we always love to hear you daywalkers. So, so here's the deal. Let me begin by saying that Obergefell versus Hodges, it's Obergefell is a, is a tough case because it's one of those words nobody can agree on the spelling. Like Hanukkah or Gaddafi. You can spell it any way you want. But, but Obergefell versus Hodges is the case that legalized same-sex marriage in 2015. Majority opinion written by Justice Kennedy, a Reagan appointee. Roe v. Wade gave the underpinning for Obergefell versus Hodges. If you don't have Roe v. Wade, the foundation for Obergefell is gone. If you don't have Roe v. Wade, more than half a million same-sex marriages that have been performed in the last seven years could be invalidated. I, I wrote a script about it called How I Unmarried Your Mother. And be, this is the big controversy. Will this lead to these guys undoing gay marriage? <laughs> well, let's start with the facts. The last time the Republican Party bothered to give a party platform for a convention was 2016. In 2020, they had no plat. The, the party platform was whatever the fat racist wants. That was literally their platform. Whatever Trump wants is what we believe in. But in 2016, they had a platform. And the party was crystal clear about their intention to get Roe overturned and to get Obergefell overturned. And the idea that this is, you know, liberal fear-mongering about gay marriage going away, no, it's not. The literal statements from the Republican Party prove it. Uh, Section 322 of the platform, overturn unconstitutional ruling. This is the Republican Party when they nominated Trump. We believe the Obergefell versus Hodges decision overturning the Texas law prohibiting same-sex marriage in Texas has no basis in the Constitution and should be reversed, returning jurisdiction over the definition of marriage to the states. The governor and other elected officials in the state of Texas should assert our 10th Amendment right and reject the Supreme Court ruling. So when you hear the right-wing folks saying, you liberals are overreacting, this is not going to lead to gay marriage, that's literally in the Republican Party platform. And people are terrified. This has really made... People who support gay rights, very concerned because they're afraid that the final opinion, if it resembles this draft, could directly lead to them overturning marriage equality. This is not the first time that Alito has criticized Obergefell. <laughs> In 2015, Clarence Thomas wrote a dissent for himself 
and Alito, saying Obergefell will continue to have ruinous consequences for religious liberty. And Alito specifically targeted Obergefell back then as not rooted in history. Okay, keep that phrase in mind, not rooted in history. It might sound familiar because it's the exact same language he just used for Roe v. Wade. His logic in the draft opinion is identical in language to his dissent in gay marriage in 2015. In both cases, Alito said there's a lack of an explicit reference to this right in the Constitution. This idea that voters should decide the lack of historical recognition of the right and the problems purportedly caused by the court recognizing the right. He wrote seven years ago, the court has held that liberty under the due process clause should be understood to protect only those rights that are deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. It is beyond dispute that the right to same-sex marriage is not among those rights. Deeply rooted in the nation's history. The same language he used to oppose legalizing gay marriage, he uses now to kill abortion rights. So let's talk about Ben Shapiro, that four foot ten micro penis petulant tick. Ben thinks Obergefell was a bad decision. And he thinks the Equal Protection Clause should not include transgender people because they're not even people. And gender's not a thing anymore. Nothing means anything. Here's what we little little Ben said. Obergefell is a bad Supreme Court decision, and if we had a Supreme Court worth its salt, they would overturn Obergefell. He's been begging them to do it. How about the Catholic League? They said the same people who were not satisfied with gay marriage, they had to push for tranny rights, are now upset that our side won't stop with a victory in Roe. They're right about that. Why should we? Because the Catholic League, as you guys know, does not give what we call a fuck about the teachings of Jesus. Here's white nationalist Vincent James. He, he said on Telegram last week, less than 24 hours after the draft came out, next we go after Obergefell v. Hodges and then rulings banning Christianity from public schools. Hey, racist douchebag, if you want to go after keeping Christianity out of public schools, take it up with the founding fathers. But these guys aren't alone. They're not outliers. During Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings, Marsha Blackburn, senator from Tennessee, came out against Griswold, which legalized contraception. John Cornyn of Texas came out against Obergefell, which legalized gay marriage. They're not wasting any time trying to goad the Supreme Court into overturning same-sex marriage. Guys, there's so much more at stake than any of us can imagine. They're not content to just get rid of the right to abortion that was enshrined in Roe v. Wade. They're, they're dying. Mitch McConnell said it today. They want to pass a total abortion ban. And yes, we know they want to dismantle the right to same-sex marriage. Why do we know it? Again, they put it in their fucking platform. They want to impose their stupid, ultra-conservative, unchristlike version of Christianity on other people. And they think they have an ally in the Supreme Court. You know why? Because they do. Louisiana Republican Party just put a bill out of committee that says life begins at the moment of fertilization. It took like less than a week for them to criminalize contraception and IVF and miscarriages. Politico had a piece on this. I'm sorry. Uh, Axios had a piece on this earlier today, and they quoted uh, Michael Dorff, a Cornell law professor, who said the draft signals that the five most conservative justices are willing to court controversy on matters they care about. Legal experts, according to the Washington Post, are divided on whether the right to same-sex marriage is actually in danger. WAPO really goes there. They said there is no public appetite for putting that issue before the court. They also point out that Alito, appointed by President George W. Bush, explicitly stated in the draft opinion that his reasoning was not meant to apply to any rights besides abortion. We emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. 
Alito wrote, nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. And Ben Shapiro has been tweeting this for all week. They're not going after gay marriage, hysterical liberals. Just take your loss, okay? Stop lying about it. Stop lying about the hearing. Alito said they're not going to go after it, so they're not going to go after it. All the right wing is saying this. You liberals, you're hysteria. They're taking away abortion. They're not taking away gay marriage. Stop trying to demonize conservatives. There's only one problem, and that is we can't believe anything these right wing Supreme Court justices say. We know the sworn testimony of several of these people at their confirmation hearings were lies. Gorsuch said abortion rights are, quote, worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. He didn't mean it. Brett Kavanaugh said Casey was precedent on precedent. He didn't mean it. Alito said Roe versus Wade is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. So, guys, when Alito says that this is specific to Roe, believe him the way you should believe Brett Keg Party Kavanaugh and Handmaiden when they say it's all settled law. They all stood in their confirmation hearing and they all called Roe v. Wade settled law. And it was a lie to the Senate, to the American people, and to the God they swore to tell the truth to. And they lied to everyone to get their own power to be on this court. You cannot believe anything these right-wing justices say. Again, Alito's language in the draft of Killing Roe is almost verbatim of his dissent in the gay marriage case. There's no reason why it can't be applied to both. And do not trust anyone. Guys, do not trust anyone who said under oath they don't have an opinion on Roe v. Wade. Everyone has an opinion on Roe. My cat has an opinion on Roe v. Wade. Um, I mean, maybe you're old enough to remember that Roe versus Wade was settled law for 50 years until last week. The right wing has both of these rulings in their sights. And again, they'll also say, calm down, liberals. Look at public opinion polls. OK, majority of Americans support same sex marriage. Sixty one percent as of 2019. But guys, this Supreme Court doesn't care about public opinion. They don't care about the majority. When, since when has the Republican Party cared about what the majority of Americans want? Alito said in this opinion last week, we cannot allow our decisions to be affected by any extraneous influences, such as concern about the public's reaction to our work. OK, guys, 61 percent of you who support same sex marriage, you're irrelevant to these right wing, fake Christian, unelected, power hungry douchebag theocrats. You call them SCOTUS. But I call them scrotus because they teabagged us all when they made Bush Lapotus. It doesn't make sense for this court to just overturn Roe v. Wade unless overturning Roe v. Wade is just the beginning. Roe v. Wade is the foundation of this right to privacy we talk about. And <laughs> Alito literally cites the gay marriage law as containing phony rights. Guys. Don't believe anything conservative media figures tell you they are coming for gay marriage. They are coming for gay marriage. How do we know? Because they told us it's in the Republican Party platform. The Republicans keep saying that they think it should be overturned. Alito is using the same language, saying if it's not in the Constitution, it's not a real right. And he used it when he dissented in 2015 for gay marriage. He's using it now to kill Roe. They keep saying the right to abortion can't be found in the Constitution. So neither can gay marriage or gay intimacy or contraception. These guys flip. Don't believe what they say. They're Supreme Court justices. They flip. Anthony Kennedy, uh, you know, said in his opinion for Lawrence versus Texas that it didn't point to same sex marriage. And then he used Lawrence versus Texas when he wrote the majority opinion legalizing gay marriage. 
He flipped in a good way. The court declared in 2000, Bush v. Gore, that that ruling meant nothing for any future disputes. And yet they're still using that today, Republicans, to argue that state legislatures can overrule voters in appointing presidential electors. They don't mean anything they say, guys. The anti-abortion evangelical wing of the country that is driving this anti-abortion conversation, they feel the same way about abortion as they do about marriage equality. They feel it was wrongly decided. They feel it never should have happened. And again, friends, they don't care what you want. The right wing doesn't care what the American people want. Americans didn't want Bill Clinton impeached. Americans wanted Al Gore to be president. Americans didn't want to repeal Obamacare. Americans didn't want Donald Trump. Most Americans want paid family leave. Most Americans want weed to be decriminalized. Most Americans want billionaires to be taxed more. But this country has never been about what most Americans want. We've only had a real democracy since the 1960s. This country was founded by powerful white men with money who thought only they should make all the choices. Only they should be allowed to vote. And every right we as a people have achieved since then has been fought for. They've given you no rights. Every right's been fought for. They're fundamentalist Christians, like fundamentalist Muslims or fundamentalist Jews. They don't believe they're better than you. They believe God believes they're better than you. That's the disease of religious fundamentalism. The good Christians, the good Muslims, the good Jews, the moderates, the liberals, the ones who actually have love for people, who want to make life easier, who want to comfort the afflicted, who want to help the poor and the suffering. You don't see them on the news. These evil douchebags of all three religions, they're the ones who get the clicks. And that's what a conservative is now. In this country, a conservative is somebody who wants bigger government and wants control over the private lives of citizens. We have the Christian Taliban on our Supreme Court, and I am not exaggerating. The Muslims have Sharia law. We have Scalia law. It's the same exact thing. Conservative, extreme conservative, religious male control over population. It's the same thing. It's just a question of degrees. Welcome back. I'm so excited to welcome Nabiha Kazi Hutchins to the show. I've been talking about her. She serves as president and CEO of PAI. That's Population Action International. They're a nonprofit that advocates for healthcare and family planning around the world by partnering with policy writers and a network of global partners. They work with women and vulnerable populations, which is to say they are an anti-poverty movement. And Ms. Hutchins was born in Pakistan, raised in Mexico. She's worked on developmental programs in more than 20 countries worldwide. She's collaborated with and advised heads of state, national and local leaders, CEOs, and senior executives from across sectors. It is a great pleasure to welcome Nabiha Kazi Hutchins to the show. Hello. Hi, how are you, John? I'm really excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm so thrilled to get your expertise at a time when uh, we don't know what the next few months and years are going to look like for women around the world. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really uh, devastating. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think all that has happened last week and, and certainly in, in the lead up to it, it just shows the work is undone, right? It's, it's not yeah. complete. And uh, we really do need to rally and mobilize because, it, uh, and, and one, I'm sure we'll talk about this, it doesn't end with access to abortion. Correct. Um, this, this threatens a whole host of rights and, and liberties that we have. I couldn't agree more. As dismayed as I am, I have to say I'm 
so inspired, not just by the the turnout and the the passion we've already seen, but by the sleeping giant that is being awakened to people who realized, oh my goodness, they, they really mean it. Nearly 50 years after this groundbreaking court decision, these unelected judges, four of whom were appointed by presidents who lost a popular vote, are trying to take rights away and completely derail the trajectory of reproductive freedoms in the U.S. I'm curious, what was your first response when you heard the news last week? Yeah, when, when I first uh, heard the news, it was actual shock. I, I couldn't believe that it actually happened. And, and I think many of my peers felt the same. Um, it, it was almost a double take. And, and especially in this time, you know, when you look at the global, the global trajectory of, of where um, policy is heading, where uh, national movements are heading to ensure that women and, and youth and other vulnerable and at-risk communities have access to comprehensive sexual reproductive health. To think that the U.S. is actually backsliding uh, was a shock. And then there was outrage, quite frankly. You know, I, I think all of us on Tuesday, those who were in D.C., as many as we could, went to the Supreme Court uh, to provide remarks to demonstrate that uh, we do have to rally together and uh, also think about how do we move forward from this, right? It's not just now raising our voices. That's really important. But what are we going to do at a state level? And for PAI in particular, what are the implications at a global level? Because there are real implications. Uh, The world is watching, as I said in my remarks on Tuesday at the Supreme Court, the world is watching what the U.S. does. Exactly right. And I want to ask you about that. You put out a statement through PAI where you said a Supreme Court decision reversing federal protections for abortion would create a humanitarian and public health crisis that would result in millions of women and pregnant people losing access to critical and life-saving reproductive services. This will not reduce the number of people seeking abortions. It just means that more people will be harmed or die in the process of getting them. That's the point I don't really hear the media making enough, that this will not end abortions. It will only end the safe, legal, regulated kinds. Yeah, there's there's so much data on this that, that by... Uh putting in place these restrictions, uh, one thinks those who set these restrictions is that, well, this, this uh, is a barrier for people who are seeking an abortion, for people who are seeking to assert their uh, reproductive health and rights. And it just isn't so. And there's decades and decades and decades of evidence. And even to this day abroad, in, in the face of uh, policies and, and laws that are restrictive of the rights for, for women to choose to access a safe abortion, uh, women and, and other people who need an abortion will go seek one out. Correct. And oftentimes that, that leads to, to dire consequences uh, and even risk lives. So um, this is not a deterrent. It is uh, merely going to harm um the health and well-being of women. And as you point out, this decision would disproportionately harm black, brown, and indigenous communities in the U.S. and cause havoc for low-income Americans and people in rural areas who already struggle with accessing abortion care. There's really no way to separate this issue from the subject of poverty, another preventable crisis, is there? Not, not at all. You, you, can't, you can't separate that. And, and we already know here in the U.S. there's such inequity in accessing quality health care. 
uh, in particular, uh, affecting black, brown, indigenous communities in the U.S. And quite frankly, that's that's the case around the world. Right. It's um, communities that uh, are at higher at highest risk and uh, who also live in high have high levels of poverty in, in, in their communities that are oftentimes kept furthest away from accessing care. And um, here in the U.S., we know for a fact that, you know, let's let's put aside access to abortion. There's uh, there's so many issues around access to fundamental health care, basic health care. And of course, access to abortion is one of those things. But um, how a a woman seeks prenatal care and uh, maternal health outcomes, they're they're among the worst for black and brown communities in this country. And it all comes down to access. Now, you set laws, uh, you set additional restrictions, and that's just going to create um, more barriers and, uh, as I said, more harm for women of color who deserve quality health care just like everybody else. Absolutely. I think about how the right loves to talk about uh, Dr. Kermit Gosnell and these horrible butcher clinics where poor women went for uh, unregulated abortions that were just places of cruelty and pain. And I I, I just don't think they understand that they are creating thousands of new Dr. Kermit Gosnells because, as you point out so so beautifully, women of means will still be able to go to their doctor or travel out of state discreetly. Low-income women cannot travel out of state, cannot find childcare for the kids they've already got. They're going to go to people who are not real medical care professionals to help them solve problems. And it's going to be a, a human rights catastrophe. That's exactly the case. And and uh, I, I'm sure you've been sharing a little bit about uh, PAI and the organization that I lead. Yes. Uh, we, we, of course, are advocating at the U.S. level, at the U.S. policy level and on the global stage to ensure that U.S. policies are not restrictive and repressive and, in fact, are expansive and supporting, supportive of the rights of, of women, youth, and at-risk communities to access sexual reproductive health. Uh, and at the same time, we work with 120 partners, local organizations, advocate or advocates uh, across 36 countries so they can do the same in their own countries. And I just returned from three weeks in, in various countries in, in East Africa and uh, in visiting with some of our partners in Kenya, they, they lifted up what you've noted so well on, on, the, on the financial means piece. In Kenya, for example, uh, abortion is, is not legal. Yeah. And what was shared with me is it's actually legal for families, for women who have the resources to go seek an abortion elsewhere. Yep. So those who have the means, they're going to get safe, quality care. Those who don't are going to be harmed in the process. And, and that's if they can even access it in time, right? What, what are some of the greatest challenges that are facing, uh, you know, PAI in your struggle to try to put women and, and at-risk communities, as you put it, in charge of their sexual and reproductive health and rights? I would imagine there are different obstacles depending on, on the society you're visiting. Yeah, I, I think that there is one common, <laughs> there is one common piece, and this is others telling us what we can do with yeah. our bodies, with our minds, with our voices. Uh, you know, this is this is about the patriarchy, and uh, the sense that we have to regulate women's bodies and we have to regulate their decisions, and 
we have to control what they do or what they say. And that, again, is from the beginning of time, is not recognizing the autonomy and the agency of women. And um, the, the way to tackle this, and, and it's not a one and done, but it's what's happening here in the U.S. again around, uh, around the rolling back of Roe Ro v. Wade is lifting up the voices and speaking up, speaking truth to power. And we're going to have to vote the right way in this country uh, at the yeah. state level as well so we can protect those rights at the state level. You know, I spend a lot of time deconstructing the religious arguments and going through what the Bible actually says about these issues. And and one thing that Jesus does mention, he doesn't mention abortion ever. The Bible's not against it. But Jesus talks a lot about poverty and fighting poverty. Does it seem to you, Ms. Hutchins, that essentially what these red states are going to wind up doing, whether intentional or not, is that they will be punishing poor women, low-income women, many of the mothers already, with greater poverty? Uh, yes, um, th- that is absolutely one consequence of this is um, it does increase not just poverty, but also uh, the aspirations that women have for their lives, for the lives of their families and their children. There is a, a great book that I would encourage everyone to read, which is called The Turnaway Study, and it's written by uh, Dr. Um, Diana Foster Green. And it talks about what happens when women seeking an abortion, when a woman is seeking an abortion is turned away. And what, what she find, what she's, and this is part of a longitudinal study that, that she's been implementing with her team. Um, and what she finds is that women who are not turned away, who have, who has access to an abortion actually has better life outcomes than, than women who are turned away. Yeah. Uh, they have better economic stability, economic outcomes for their family, um, higher levels of attainment, uh, ultimately more stable um, health and well-being. And that is not the case with the women that she has followed over uh, decades uh, from women who've been turned away from an abortion. I, I really loved your statement on behalf of PAI. I've, I've tweeted it out for everyone to read. But you, you say the overwhelming current international trajectory is toward the legalization of abortion from Mexico's Supreme Court decision that made abortion legal to groundbreaking policy and legal decisions in support of abortion access in Chile, Colombia, Ireland, and more. The global trend is to expand sexual and reproductive health care. Since the 1990s, over 60 countries have expanded their laws or decriminalized abortion. These rights make families and communities stronger. The U.S. appears to be one of the only countries on Earth that's moving backwards on these rights. Yeah, it is. And, and well, let's talk about that. And then I'm going to talk about the 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 other ironies and in, in what Please. is happening here in our country. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And my statement said it, you know, since the 1990s, we've had more than 60 countries that move toward these uh, more progressive, supportive uh, decisions on reproductive health and rights, including abortion. And, you know, my my home country of Mexico, where I was raised in, in 2021, the Supreme Court made that decision to make abortion legal. Now, there's still uh, some some efforts at the state level to um, to maybe not honor that. But the law of the land at the national level uh, is to recognize that abortion is legal and it's a groundbreaking policy for a country that is majority Catholic, a conservative yep. country. 
and sends a powerful message that, uh, you know, maybe there are other things that we need to be tackling in our country. And this might be one area that we can trust women. We can, we can ensure that women can achieve their rights. We've got other things to, to address from poverty to education to access to health care uh, and so on and so forth. There are only three countries that have uh, been more restrictive in their laws, and that's Poland and Salvador and Nicaragua. And now the U.S. is about to join them. And this is all happening with the backdrop of U.S. leadership. And, you know, now I'm getting into the Biden administration. We know that this is the Supreme Court's um, ruling, right? So this is not the Biden administration's ruling or decision. But we we know that distinction globally. You know, the, the average person may not know that distinction. They just know the message and the actions coming out of the United States. So on the global stage at at a U.S. level, we're talking about gender equality. We're talking about uh, human rights and respecting human rights. And then we we look at this decision that is clearly uh, going to happen here in the next several weeks. And it shows a, a rollback and a complete disregard to what is fundamental to women and we do believe uh, at PAI and, and our peers is that abortion is essential health care and yes. access to abortion is a fundamental human right. You're so doing the Lord's work. I mean, it's just it's so inspiring. You know, I, I and you mentioned the other ironies. I'd love to ask you about those as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the other ironies even here in, in the U.S., if we look at this uh, from a domestic lens, is we do, again, talk about equity. We talk about uh, breaking down and breaking away from so many of these disparities that are getting in the way of progress and prosperity. We have our own poverty rates in this country. We have our own challenges in terms of quality education. We have hunger and malnutrition that are also running rampant. And I don't want to sound alarmist, but it does beg the question is that this is not about um, saying, well, we want to do what's best for people, because the people of this country are pretty clear the majority do not think that abortion should be illegal in this country, right? Mm -hmm. The majority do feel that the woman, that a woman has the right to choose uh, what she, what she does with her body, that a woman has a right to access uh, abortion and, and do so in a way that's dignified, that doesn't require her to jump through a bunch of hoops. Um, and for her agency and autonomy to be diminished, because we do have other bigger issues here that that we've got to tackle in our country. But this is not that. This is absolutely about controlling uh, women's bodies. It's it's absolutely about imposing uh, a a restrictive and extreme um, view and and ideology. And not respecting again the the autonomy of women and and what we as women want. Now you were mobilizing at the Supreme Court for a full day of protest, and I know you'll be doing a lot more of that. What might our listeners be able to do to help in PAI's mission? Yeah, I think it's really critical for for listeners to one speak up. You know whether you're uh, in in DC or not, show up at your courts because this battle is going to be at the state level. Uh, there has to be um, 
and whether you take to the streets or not, but spreading spreading your voice on social media, demonstrating that this is an issue that matters, uh, addressing this with elected officials um, in your state at the local level. And uh, I think also one, one big piece in, in all of this is uh, who we end up electing yes. at the state level. Um, certainly, uh, you know, our, our president matters, but this fight is going to be at the state level. So funding those who respect human rights, uh, funding their campaigns, running for office, right? Even at yep. the, at the, at the local level, Thank running you. for office for, 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 um, to ensure that our rights are not rolled back. All of this is really important. And then uh, the last thing would be fueling and supporting the organizations that are out there advocating, like PAI and their others, but out there advocating with data, with evidence, with voices from around the world and across the country, saying we're not going to put up with this. We're not going to tolerate it. We're ready to fight. And if I can just close, you were in Malawi, Africa recently, a country where my mother lived for many years. And you said, if there has ever been an issue bearing the greatest brunt of others telling us what we can do, it is women's health plus rights. Prioritize what is essential to agency, autonomy, empowerment. That includes sexual and reproductive health and rights. Thank you for inspiring me. Nabiha Kazi Hutchins is president and CEO of PAI, Population Action International. Really a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. Let me go to Libby calling from Maryland. Good evening, Libby. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Uh, I am, unfortunately at this time, a female in my 20s. So I'm terrified of the current situation. I think every However, female and every male with empathy is terrified of the current situation. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, but I had a bit of a realization. First of all, uh, thank you for what you were talking about earlier with the, um, in regard to uh, religious views and re- religious freedom. I am, um, I've recently deconstructed from Christianity over the past couple of years, and yeah. I'm amazed that I was a part of that and, I hope to remedy that somehow someday. But um, yeah, you were talking about um, how, unfortunately, the, the fundamentalists on the right need to feel like they're getting something out of everything, even if it has nothing to do with them. Correct. Um, and I, I had a bit of a realization earlier today that if legal abortion becomes banned, there is a possibility that um, birth rate can go down because a lot of women who have abortions actually end up going on to have children in the future that they plan for, that they want. And if they're forced to seek abortion in an illegal fashion, back alley abortion, terrifying stuff like that, they're way more likely to die and not be able to have the children in the future that they would want. It's a great point. Um, which is horrible, obviously. And I was also thinking about contraception, if that gets banned as well. Um, speaking from experience, um, I had to go on contraception when I was 13 years old, and it wasn't for contraception reasons. It was for health reasons. Um, one in 10 women struggle with endometriosis. That's correct. And one in 10 women struggle with PCOS, or polycystic ovarian syndrome both of which highly impact fertility. 
and by being on birth control pills, their body is able to regulate hormones in a way that can allow them to have children in the future. Yeah. So I just think it'd be really interesting if they thought about it from that angle. <laughs> well, it's amazing because the people who say that birth control is not medicine, which it is, claim that because the Bible's against birth control, which it's not. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's scary. I mean, yeah. I don't know what would have happened. I probably would have hemorrhaged and died if I hadn't gotten on it. And I'm so when glad you did. Talking. I've talked to so many women who had your same experience. And of course, when I was a kid, it was happening, but they don't talk about it back then. We didn't know. And, nope. and you got to remember, Libby, they're going to try. There are factions in this government that will try in these Confederate states and they have disproportionate representation, but there are more of us. And the majority of conservatives don't want to see this happen either. It's true. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Absolutely. It's just crazy because even though I'm in a blue state, I'm in a red area. <laughs> I know. I love Maryland. I know your state well. I know. <laughs> it's a bit crazy. So, I mean, I, I tell people I'm from Baltimore, but not the city. I'm from an area that's very country and very farm and, you know, Confederate yeah. flags are everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. where am I? Confederate flags <laughs> in Maryland. Can you believe it? I mean, I it's, it's the American swastika. And these people call themselves Christians while waving a literal flag of white supremacy and treason. It's absolutely terrifying. And I, I felt so bad uh, growing up. I'm al I also happen to be a member of the LGBT community. And I did not want anybody to know because I was like, oh, yep. man, I'm going to be slaughtered. Well, no, you're um, not, I, Libby. And what you're going to do is when you're 80, you're going to have amazing stories of being a pioneer that you can share with young people. That's what you're going to do. Well, I think I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I hope that's true. <laughs> well, thank you. I really do. It's a pleasure to have you call in. Please call in more often. I really appreciate your experience. Oh, thank you very much. I, I, this is, today was my first day listening. I really oh. appreciate your, your points of view. I'm really honored. Thank you. I appreciate yours as well. It's all downhill from thank here. You. Yeah, he's right. It's actually, it's really much worse. I, I, oh, I no. mean, the show is, it's, it, no, the, the show's rubbish. It's just, it's a lot of dick jokes and, uh, and, and bad celebrities. But just, just wait till you hear our uh, dueling Bernie Sanders impressions. Oh, that actually really happened. That is yeah. comedically, yeah, that's a crime against comedy, I will say. But Libby, thank you very much. Ignore my friend here. He's, he's cock blocking yeah. this entire conversation. Have a great evening. Thank Any you. Thank you very much. You too. <laughs> Why do you have, these are nice people. These are nice people. I'm just letting her know what she's in for. What do you? I'm not asking her out. My God, I'm just a I'm just a Gen X breeder. But I'm glad you know. I'm glad that there's some women who aren't turned off by you, Chris, and will still listen to our show.